podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. This is how you shall eat it your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it quickly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, 
Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. One of the Bible studies of the United Methodist Church that I love the most is the Disciple Bible Study. You may be familiar with it. It's a 36-week journey through the entire Bible from beginning to end. Uh, Twelve students traveling with one leader, meeting two and a half hours each week over nine months. Disciple Bible study is a big commitment, and I've taught it three times in my ministry. I hope that at some point we can offer it at, uh, at Epworth, and I can lead uh, folks through this journey. And each time I lead Disciple Bible study, I learn something new. But perhaps the most arresting thing that I have learned from Disciple Bible study was in my first year of teaching, early in the study, when we came to the texts of Egypt uh, the plagues of Egypt, and the Exodus. In the text, the Israelites, though once free in Egypt, have become enslaved. Moses and his brother, you'll recall the story, both Israelites, at the request of God, have faced off against the Egyptian Pharaoh, demanding that Pharaoh let their people go. The plagues of Egypt and the story of the Exodus are taught to children regularly in Sunday school. Of course, this is the same history that is retold every year as our Jewish siblings gather for the Passover observance and tell the story. And it is drawn directly from the scripture that Gus read for us today. Exodus-related questions are almost always featured in Bible quizzes and often even uh, at trivia nights. How did God tell Moses it was time for Egypt to let the Israelites go? Answer there, through a burning bush. Why did Aaron accompany his brother Moses to talk to Pharaoh? Answer there, because Moses claimed that he couldn't speak clearly enough. How many years did the Israelites wander in the desert? Forty years! What were the plagues of Egypt? Now this one is a tough one. It might even be a daily double. The ten plagues of Egypt were water turning to blood, frogs, lice, flies, livestock pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally, the murder of the firstborn. These are some of the most dramatic texts in the Bible, and these scenes are prominent in our biblical imaginations. But what I learned that night in Disciple Bible Study is that except for the account of 
In Exodus, there is no corroborating archaeological ev evidence in Egypt or Sinai of the plagues or the Exodus. And the plagues and the Exodus are not mentioned at all in Egyptian textual sources of the same period. How could this be? How could an event so dramatic and so prominent in our own story as a people of faith and in the story of the Jewish tradition not be foregrounded in every history of the time, let alone not be present at all? Well, let's think about this. We know that history is written by the winners and by those in power. And though Egypt was in power, in this instance, Egypt didn't win. So it's possible that Egyptian historians chose not to record this part of the story, or maybe they were even instructed not to record it. The Israelites were the winners, so of course they recorded it. But this doesn't explain the lack of archaeological evidence. So how do we deal with that? Well, archaeological evidence, because of its materiality, can seem objective and conclusive. But it has its limits. If we find a particular vessel we know to be used by a particular people near a place where we know there was uh, evidence of a well, we might conclude that groups of this people lived in, the, in that area. Well, that, that may or may not be true. And moreover, it cannot tell us the interpersonal or political conflict that might have been happening at the same time. So we could then go on trying to understand this historical omission and attempt to determine if the events of this story were even possible. Scholars have spent much effort arguing uh, with uh, plausible explanations for the plagues. One theory is that the plagues are the result of a volcanic eruption on the Greek island of Santorini. The ash in the eruption became airborne, and the winds carried the toxic ash to Egypt. And the ash would have contained the mineral cinnabar, which could have been capable of turning the River Jordan red. The accumulated acidity in the water would have caused frogs to leap out and search for clean water. Insects would have burrowed eggs in the bodies of dead animals and human survivors, which generate, generated larvae and then adult insects. Then the volcanic ash in the atmosphere would have affected the weather, with acid rain landing on people's skin, which in turn would have caused boils. The grass would have been contaminated, poisoning animals that ate it, the humidity from the rain, and the subsequent hail would have created optimal conditions for locusts to thrive. Volcanic eruptions could also explain several days of darkness, which means nine of 10 plagues are accounted for. Another theory pins the origin of the plagues on red algae. And another theory suggests that the parting of the Red Sea as the Israelites escaped could have happened as the result of a 67 mile per hour wind sustained for four hours, exposing a reef for passage from bank to bank of the sea. But just because these, these plagues or the parting of the Red Sea could have happened does not mean that they did happen 
And we're left with the fact that there is no other historical evidence of these occurrences. After living through the past few months, and particularly the last few weeks, we didn't need a scientific theory to tell us that plagues could happen. We know they're possible. What we need to remember is that our scriptures are less an attempt at a factual history than they are the story of a people and their relationship to their God, our God. Though they are based in history, the purpose of our scriptures is theological. They tell us how our ancestors in faith faced betrayal and loss, how they got through times of crisis or crisis upon crisis, and what they believed about life's joys and purpose. The scriptures tell us how to live as a human community in relationship to the divine and the mysteries of our universe. All of this is about the relationship between us and God. The plagues and the ensuing exodus are traditionally viewed as the single event that gave birth to Israel as a nation of people with a particular identity and purpose in relationship to God. Though the people certainly already knew God, the plagues and exodus marked a new and significant moment in the understanding of what this relationship is about. Here we are in the midst of our own plagues. We are enduring the plague of COVID and the ongoing plague of white supremacy and the plague of fires, hurricanes, and now air that is foul and a sky that is hazed or red or just plain dark. So what do the plagues of Egypt have to tell us about these plagues we're enduring? And where is God in all of this? Well, first, the plagues of Egypt testify to the truth that there is suffering in the world. Now, of course, it is true that the Israelites were spared the effect of the 10 plagues brought about by God, but they were already suffering the effects of the plague of slavery. All of these plagues were brought about by the injustice perpetrated by an oppressive and ruler and state. And each time Moses and Aaron demand that Pharaoh let the people go and make clear that there will be consequences, Pharaoh refuses, then relents, then refuses again to give the people their freedom. The root of the suffering brought about by the plagues is in Pharaoh's hard-hearted and oppressive rule and in the participation by all who are part of this regime in that oppression. We know that some of the plagues we are currently enduring have their root in climate change, and we must take this opportunity to double down on our efforts to respond to our climate emergency. The bondage of creation has been perpetrated mostly by the collusion of corporations and governments against the will and health of all of the people, but when skies and waters cleared as pollution from transportation all but ceased earlier this year, we saw that a mass change in habit by the people can have a dramatic effect on the degradation of the environment. Coupled with our faithful action for policy change, we respond to God's call to us to care for creation. 
Yet the origin of the virus is less clear. And when one is in the midst of suffering plagues, the truth is that finding origins is only helpful in the forward-looking of correcting problems, not in the backward-looking temptation toward anger and blame. The first message of the plagues is also the first noble truth of Buddhism. Suffering happens. Suffering happens, and the scripture we have to, for today about the killing of the firstborn represents the height of suffering. It is the origin of the tradition of Passover, as I said, stemming from the Hebrew verb describing the action of the angel of death when coming to the Israelites' homes, which literally means passed over. But the original verb has connotations that are lost to us now and can also be translated as protection and compassion. And so the second message is that in the midst of suffering, God is present with God's people in protection and compassion. Finally, and most importantly, it is God who saves and delivers. Israel, Israel's deliverance from the plague of slavery is not the result of its own doing, but of God's action in relationship to the people of faith. The relationship that the people have with God is just as important as God's powerful action. Hear these words that begin Exodus chapter 6. God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. In the midst of plagues of any kind, what we are to remember is that it is God who delivers us. I find it interesting that God says, I did not make myself fully known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But in the midst of this suffering, God becomes more fully known. In our quest to be closer to God and to understand more and more of what God wants from us, Times of suffering provide us with an open portal to know more of who God is and who we are in relationship to God. The more we let go of our desire for a time before the plagues or a view of reality that does not see reality for what it really is, the more our suffering persists. But if we let go and turn fully toward God, God will lead us out. If we turn more deeply to our practices of prayer, of reaching out, of giving, of listening for God in all things, deliverance awaits. Friends, we are in dark and difficult times. 
But what we see in this seminal and pivotal story of our faith is that there is never a better time to be at one with the one who knows us, loves us, and leads us into a place of all peace and all joy beyond our own imaginings. Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. This is my daily bread.